Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Escaping Rock Bottom. This is uh, podcast episode five, so I'm glad to see you here. Uh, back down here in Orange County, I cannot escape Newport Beach or Laguna Beach. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's my hometown, so it feels great to be here. Uh, for those of you who are watching right now, hello, thanks for joining us. You can obviously see I have a very special guest with us today. Hello. I'll introduce her in just a <laughs> moment. And for those of you listening, folks, I have, um, I'm so excited about this show um, because I always say that we all suffer traumas in our life, no matter who you are, where you are, where you grew up in, how much money uh, you grew up with in the house. We all suffer traumas uh, at some point in our life, and it's how we deal with those traumas uh, later in life. Um, because as you know, my story, my traumas came out sideways. I ended up getting into a life of, of drugs and alcohol and bad depression. Um, and uh, today you're going to hear uh, from someone who suffered a lot of trauma. Uh, in her life and she's going to talk about the trauma she suffered not just once but multiple times um, her story now because she's worked through that trauma it's going to be a story of hope um, and inspiration um, so I am now going to introduce Tanya Brown uh, on the podcast Tanya thank you yes, so much so for excited. hanging out <laughs> with me today and sharing the story and you know what's so beautiful about even how we met is that I started this podcast Someone saw this podcast, recommended it to a woman named Jody Barber, mm -hmm. uh, did the podcast with Jody Barber, and Jody's like, now you have to meet my friend Tanya, <laughs> and it's just this chain reaction of, yes. uh, of beautiful stories, and I'm, and I'm just... And beautiful stories, operative word. Beautiful yes. stories and beautiful souls yeah. um, who have suffered a lot. So, okay, so for those who may not know you right off the bat, um, Tanya, you are the younger sister to uh, Nicole Brown. Uh, Nicole Brown Simpson yes. and uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, obviously murdered by OJ Simpson. And Tanya is your, you're the little sister. I'm the baby sister, um, but I'm the tallest one. The tallest one in the family, <laughs> the littlest, the, the, the last one born. I have no idea where I came <laughs> from, but. <laughs> take me back. Um, I guess take me a little bit about where your story really begins. So back in the 80s, we didn't really have the awareness that we have today as far as like drugs and alcohol, drinking and driving, uh, mad, mothers against drug driving. We didn't, we didn't have that. Um, my trauma really uh, began during, during high school. And, but let me segue just for a few seconds. Yeah. I'm that baby sister who had three older sisters to go, well, why can't I be on the cover of Cosmopolitan? Why can't I be Nicole who had like, you know, and they're, you know, with money and beautiful kids and a beautiful family. Mm -hmm. So we thought, right. And then my sister Dominique, um, you know, I think every woman battling weight would hate my sister because she could eat everything and never <laughs> exercise and whatever. And on top of that, Dominique was valedictorian. So I'm like, at the end of the day, I really don't like her. <laughs> but you're like, was uh, I I'm an like, what? Did yeah, really. Me? I'm like, where the heck did I come from? <laughs> so here, you know, we we battle. A lot of kids battle with self esteem and self confidence. Why can't I have? Especially here in Orange County, specifically South Orange County. Yeah. Why can't I have the BMW? Why can't I have the Ferrari? Why can't I have the perfect family? Why kids at Santa Margarita? Their parents right. gave them front row parking spaces because they donated the most money. My goodness. Right? And they drove the Mercedes and the, you know, and the BMWs to school. We grew up in the same we area did. of Orange County, yes. so we get it. But when you're a teen, now we're adults. You but want, want, want. You're envious, right? You're jealous. Yeah, you're yeah. envious. It's insecure. like... Insecure. Insecure. And 
And then, but then on top of it, you have that peer pressure where it's like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not in that group. And, you know, with Asia, right. And, and the cheerleader, um, I, my goodness, I don't remember, um, the gal who, um, she went to Dana Hills, right. Mm -hmm. With who ended up in prison. If anybody follows your podcast and forgive me, I don't remember her name, but I mean, my God, all, everybody in Jody's, um, you know, documentaries, her overtaken one and overtaken two. It's like they, they have an everlasting memory in my mm-hmm. heart and in my mind. But when you're growing up, especially in today's world where there's social media, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's all these uh, Snapchat. I, I, I'm 49. I don't pay attention right. to like half the stuff. I just, <laughs> I do my post. Hey, here's my dog, whatever. Yeah. Um, here's awareness. But as a kid, you got to kind of put yourself back into that, into that space where, oh my gosh, here, you know, my next door neighbors, you know, my best friend just got married and they just had this beautiful wedding at Pelican Hill or, you know, here, my best friend just got this amazing Ferrari and, you know, what I want to do, I mean, social media is your best friend, but it can be a person's worst enemy um it can bring people into that why don't i have that when did you start feeling that as a child growing up um well we didn't have social media back then um i just i was comparing myself to my sisters like oh why can't i have that why can't i and then you know junior high and high school come along and you're like well why can't i have you know i have straight hair now but that's age (laughs) (laughs) and hormones um but why can't I have, um, you know, straight hair? At that time, I had like Bon Jovi hair. Right. Why couldn't I be a little bit shorter? Because I was always the tallest in my class. Why? It's always those like, why can't I be that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here on, you know, on top of everything else, we have the the pressures of today. Is that whose phone is that? Sorry. Is it my phone? Can you can you edit this? Yeah, I'll edit you it can out. edit it. Um, <gasps> I think I left it on for you guys. Oh my goodness, sorry. Oh my god, I'm mad. Is this mine? No, it's no, not. I'm right? gonna edit it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Oh, I thought this was mine. Okay. So, that's good. Oh yeah. So, um, okay, here we are. Uh, well, take me back because I think it's really important to really identify when was your first real you know, your first real big trauma that you kind of harken back to that you reflect back when you do, you know, your soul searching to figure out, okay, where do I need to really go back and fix? When my best friend, Harissa was killed in a hit and run accident. So if you're familiar with South uh, Laguna, West street and Pacific coast highway, my best girlfriend, Harissa was killed um, in a hit and run accident before that. The reason why that light is there is because of Harissa's death. Um, That is when I, began to question, oh my God, I'm, I didn't even question to tell you the truth. I began eating. Mm. I ate, I ate, I ate. I was depressed. I lied to her the night before she died. She was my best friend. We, I mean, my God, we didn't grow up together, but we worked together for like four years and she was like my girl and she had a fight with her boyfriend. She ended up walking across the street and, um, and somebody hit her and I had that, what we now would call Catholic guilt. And um, that's when, looking back now in hindsight, that was really my 
first, something's not right. Mm. Now with my personal and professional educational experience, I literally will diagnose myself as having clinical depression because I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I was having horrible nightmares. My mom would... And, and I don't remember any of this, you know, until I wrote, you know, my, my story and shared my right. story. Um, my mom would, here's applesauce. Like, I don't know what it is with my mom. She's like the Windex with the Greek people. It's, you know, and um, her her thing was, you know, she always sat, sat up with me in the middle of the night and, you know, just, are you okay? And just doing check-ins. And, but I, I didn't. I didn't know what was happening at that time um, until my mom decided to clean under my bed. I don't know what it is with parents or moms specifically. They have this sixth, like this sixth sense where there's like this other sense that kicks in. And she's like, you know, I think I'm going to clean under your bed today. Yeah. And that's where she found the empty dishes, the dirty dishes the empty boxes, uh, wrappers. Mm. I used to litter on my way home. Um, you know, if I had, if I had, you know, obviously we all have to work. So on the way to work, I would have my breakfast, but on the way to, to my job, I would throw out my evidence, right? Because that was my paraphernalia, my food, my empty boxes. And And that's what I really want people to even understand as we continue on with this episode is that you know, a lot of the stories that we've shared in my story is drugs and alcohol. But I tell people all the time, you know, when we have and we, we suffer through these traumas um, and when they're untreated, we treat ourselves. And some people treat themselves yes. to booze. Some people, people treat themselves to pills, mm-hmm. some to drugs. Food. And food. And I was food 200 pounds. Is, yeah, f- wow. Food is an addiction. Huge. It, it can easily be a big addiction that... It doesn't get enough attention that drugs mm-hmm. sometimes get or alcohol gets. So well, um, and and rightfully so, you know. I mean, we, we they, it's they still walk an among us. Addiction, but I mean, know? oh, absolutely not. I mean, Russell Brandt, right? He mm-hmm. says we all need to fill that hole in the soul, and I love that. And I heard that when he was speaking with Oprah on what, mm-hmm. where are they now or something like that, and that hit me. Because I was like, okay, here we are. We're talking about the opioid addiction. We're talking about all, you know, drugs and alcohol. We talk about that. And that is really, that needs to be talked about, mm-hmm. like, in the forefront of of our conversation. Because that is, um, that's big pharma. That's big. That's a big conversation. But when you're talking about everyday, you know, um, people like me and the people here in the clubhouse where we all battle with something. So what is your one thing that you fill your hole in the soul with? It could be food, gambling, sex. You know, my whole thing is that if you don't face the trauma, if you don't walk through that tornado of chaos as it shows up in your life, it will end up in drugs, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction, eating disorders. So that's why I'm an advocate because I've walked through that mess. Right. I've walked through that chaos. I've walked through that one trauma. Right. That's we're just we're one, only at one, one trauma. You know. But that was a big one because when Harissa was killed um, at West Street, it was at the time where, okay, I was at Orange Coast College and I'm ready to go transfer to somewhere. And I'm like, 
where the heck am I going to go? But I worked hard to get into UC San Diego. Mm. And I got in there with a 2.8. I'm you like, just got in. I'm like, how does that happen? I mean, this is like back in 92. Right. So you could only imagine um, taking that trauma, going into a major university, and then not having the pressures that the kids have today going into that school it all in hindsight now I'm like what the hell were my academic you know counselors thinking by accepting a girl a young girl with no coping skills coming in from you know Dana Hills Orange Coast College Laguna Beach Dana Point to UC San Diego I fainted my first day of school and my mom, she called me, and she was like, how are you? And I go, Mom, I was in the infirmary all day. And she's like, my mom's German. Right. And she's like, what's that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I go, Mom, I fainted, and I've been in the doctor's office all day. And she's like, why? And I, it, it was just uber anxiety. Mm. Um, I, I'll never forget that day. Heart palpitations. Um, I wasn't well hydrated. Uh, you know, your first year student or, right. you know, transfer student, it, it's highly anxious. But I'll never forget that day sitting in that theater classroom and I saw the exit door and I left. I left everything behind, my backpack, my purse, everything. And I exited the door and I grabbed onto the brick wall and I just collapsed. Next thing you know, I'm I'm waking up in the doctor's office and so my message to a lot of the high school transfer students you think you may have it all you, you may think that you can do it um and you know what you may you may be one of those people that can obviously I wasn't that person and I didn't know how to move forward mm-hmm. so fast forward I'm taking a psychology of suicide class. Mm-hmm. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> it wasn't a how-to class, but I remember this was so, it was so um, poignant because when I was writing my book, I actually wanted to track down this family that I'm about to share the story with you. Sitting in a classroom of 400 people, listening to a mom and a dad share a story about their daughter and behind them was this white screen of their daughter brunette happy she was in the peace corps she um i think she was like the captain of of like lacrosse um just just a humanitarian but i remembered her she just she had this smile and i just related to her and her parents were sharing a story why she jumped off the coronado bridge and nobody had that, um, nobody knew that I was having those thoughts. When I heard that family, I was like, stuff just got real. Because I relate to that girl. And you know what? That could be me at tomorrow, today. Um, and so I, I sat back and... Um, I just, I looked at her picture and it was Christmas Eve shortly thereafter. It was Christmas Eve and Nicole calls 
all my roommates are are gone they you know Santa Barbara everybody's gone for for the holiday and I'm only like what 45 minutes mm-hmm. at that time away from from Laguna and I get a call from Nicole and she says this to me she says um so I hear you're having a really hard time you know in school tell me what's going on I go Nick I don't know what the hell's going on but I've tried so hard to get into into the school and it's not working and I don't know why and I kept I kept saying the word why I don't know why this isn't working I don't know why this is happening I don't know why I'm feeling this way and she goes I want you to stop I'll never forget it Christmas Eve this is 1993 and she says I want you to write this down I'm like okay she goes, no, I mean it. Go get a piece of paper and a pen and write this and write this down. And I go, all right. She says, she says this, delete the need to understand everything. You don't need to understand everything. Some things just are. Mm, what a beautiful message from your sister. And I was like, yeah, but I'm 23 at that time. I'm going, okay, what? Yeah. <laughs> right? You got to put yourself back into my into my youth but it 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 said something to me it clicked she goes i want you to pick up a i want you to pack a bag you're gonna go to laguna you're gonna go finish wrapping christmas presents doing whatever you know and i'll see you tomorrow and i go okay you know when when an older sister speaks you show up it's like ef hutton and uh and I did, and and I share that, and and my go- my goodness, we're going on what twenty nine, maybe thirty years later, twenty eight years later, I'm still sharing that quote, even though it's so complicated, it's so simple. We try to dissect everything and ruminate, and some things just are. So that was that was, that was my in, so that was San but that Diego. was in ninety three, and I want mm-hmm. to take us now uh, into that second big trauma yeah you know obviously that was in 93 when your sister gave you what is sound advice that you're still out there mm-hmm. preaching today a year later is 1994 right so it was mother's day um 1994 we're in uh so that's may we're in the courtyard in our monarch bay home and you know we're doing girl stuff like we're filing nails we're doing coffee clutches whatever we're just being silly sisters and um and then my best girlfriend, who I grew up with since I've known, since I was four years old, she was actually the first girl that I met when we moved to Monarch Bay. Um, I said, Danny, why don't you take a picture of us? And it was the last family photo I have. And I'll share, I, I'll send you a copy of that. Um, little did I know, a month later, something happened um, that really not only traumatized my life, my family's life, but really on a global level. But it didn't get to a global level until until like media and all of that right. stuff happened. But it was June 12th, 1994. Um, I woke up to horrific screams. Um, screams. Like you can combine every horror movie you have seen all encompassed in one soul, and that was Denise mm. screaming. And I'm not a morning person right. at all. <laughs> and to be awakened by that, that I was like, okay, Whoa. what's going on? And I didn't go to, 
you know, the dance recital. I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to go to one more dance recital. I'm the, I'm like the aunt, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not into it. You guys go. Um, and that, and there's a lesson. That's why I share this is because there is a lesson in that. Don't ever say I should have gone. I should have said that. I could have done that because the shoulda, coulda, wouldas will put you in the grave yeah. like tomorrow. Yeah last night actually and so anyway here I am I'm waking up to these horrific screams and I'm like, what the hey is going on and Sean Denise's son um, and I shared an adjacent um, bedroom and so I turned the corner and Denise was sitting on the bed with Sean and I was like Denise what's going on and she was just like white and screaming and tears and she's like Coco died I'm like, who? She's like, Coco Coco got killed. Coco's gone. And I'm like, who's Coco? I couldn't relate, but Coco was the nickname that all my nieces and nephews gave my sister. Because, it, you know, your kids, it's like give Nicole, me whatever, right? And I'm like, what? I go, no. I go, you just saw her last night. I'm like, no way. I go, no. And then... I don't know. It was just something I just saw. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? And so I walk down the hallway. I see my mom at the kitchen table with just just white, white as, like, everything just zapped out of her. Uh, I can't even, I can't even describe it. Mm-hmm. It was just Casper the ghost, I guess. She couldn't answer, like, Mama, is this true? Is this true? And she couldn't answer it, so I went to my dad. We had, like, so I went to my mom and dad's back part of the house, and I said, Daddy, I go, what's going on? And he was like this on the on his bathroom counter, and he was just like this. And I go, Daddy, is it true? I go, what's going on? And he goes, yeah. Mm. So a couple of moments later, obviously things were brought on the news mm-hmm. and our neighbors came up and immediately consoled us and we were just like, what's going on? So I remember the first phone call I made, it was to a girlfriend of mine, uh, Missy, and I go, Missy, turn on the news. Uh, she worked with Arnett sunglasses and I said Missy you got to turn on the news and she's like what happened and I go I don't know it was a drive-by so that was in my head back in the early 90s like drive-bys were the thing yeah like gangs would drive by and shoot random people and innocent people would kill and I thought it was a drive-by but immediately other family members knew it was him but you don't know what you don't know right and you can't um you can't get on yourself for that because you you don't know what you don't don't know know. and and that's okay and but I'll tell you it was a quite uh quite a story and you know I think I was really the only one in my family that did not believe that he did this because I was so much younger and I wasn't you know, I was, you'd almost see the evil that somebody could do. Like, it's so unbelievable. How could, uh, yeah. Like, how can you say, I love you, marry somebody, and then this, and then you do this? Like, so, 
again, I'm 10 years younger than Nicole, 12 years younger than Denise, five years younger than Dominique. So basically when my family was like out to dinner, I was getting babysat, Babysat. (laughs) right? Right. So I didn't see a lot of things that, that my family saw. And, um, you know, but again, it's like fights happen, divorces happen, and you. But you don't ever think that it would end up like this. But you were so young at the time. How did you cope then? I mean, you don't really cope. I, I mean, didn't. Right? You didn't. You're so young to be, a, and that's the thing, right? A lot of my trauma happened when I was a young child, and I went into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And by going into survival mode, right, I just. I buried it so deep so that I wouldn't feel and I wouldn't remember. Right. But it was untreated. So eventually, at some point in our lives, whether it be 20 to 30 years later, it catches up with you and it comes Mm -hmm. out sideways and in unhealthy ways. But when I was, you know, chatting with you before, that that wasn't even the trauma that threw you over. Nope. And And everybody thinks that. Everybody thinks like, (laughs) of course. You know, your sister, Nicole Brown Simpson, being murdered, brutally murdered by O.J. Simpson, would be the thing that spiraled you into that deep depression, into that food coma, mm-hmm. if you will, right? Food addiction. And it wasn't. So what what happened afterward that was the, the trauma that really the did trigger. it to you? The and trigger. The trigger. And so that's why I, I really want to bring the word trigger to the forefront because mm-hmm. we all have them. And yes. when, when pain, chaos, stress, anxiety, depression goes unaddressed, no matter what that is for you, who, you know, your viewers, whoever, right. whatever that is for you, if it goes unaddressed, it's going to show up in really weird ways. Yep. Um, for me, I, I was engaged to a man who, um, oh my God, for like a year and a half we were together. I don't even remember. Anyway, we're we're still we're cordial, we're cordial, we're friendly. We're not friends, but we're friendly. Um, and he canceled four days before, and it was. And I say I, I share everything in my book. I know time is limited here right. with this, but there's a whole like story, back end story to that. But it was the trigger that I needed for me to go. Oh my God, what the heck just happened? Uh, The facility in Laguna Beach, Tivoli Terrace, they were the ones who called me and said, Tanya, did you realize that your wedding was just canceled? And I'm like, (sighs) and so I'm sitting on the edge of my mama and my dad's bed. I guess my face started to fall. My lips turned blue. My mom, I guess domestic violence started (laughs) hitting me. Um, because I was going into like hyperventilation. Right. Everything was cramping. And I and my mom's like, Oh my God, you're going like you're losing it over over a guy, over like, no, you can't do this. And I go, Mom, and I, I, I had the wherewithal. I I was like, This is not that. Right. This is something else. I go, because I've had relationships and it's like, whatever, okay, next, right? right? I mean, I don't want to dismiss, but it's like, okay, right. you grieve, you right. you say your goodbyes and you move on. This was something different. So I had some sort of capacity that something wasn't right and this was different. And um, yeah, but when I got that news, I went into full on self-destruction. Mm. I was popping Klonopin and red wine Jeez. every day, not as prescribed. And uh, red wine, definitely not as prescribed because you don't need a prescription Especially for that. that. 
But it was, but it was a coping. It was coping. I was numbing, numbing. and I loved it because I didn't need to feel the anger, the hate, Even the loss. Even if it was just a couple of hours of escape. It was a loss. Right. It was, it, I mean, looking yeah. back now in Morning hindsight, it was like, it was like one more darn loss that I really did not want to go through. Right. But I had to. It's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. The other traumas, right? Your sister brutally murdered. It's all culminated. As somebody looks at it and goes, well, that one is way more traumatic. Well, yeah, but this is the one. This was the trauma that that just made it. The house of cards collapse. That was it. That was it. That was my thing. A breakup. A breakup. Being dumped. Exactly. You have a sister who was murdered, but it was the you know it was the breakup that came afterward of all the traumas that led up to that. Exactly. And that's all it took. You know, we talked about the mothers because untreated, against- right? Untreated traumas let a, 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 what we can look at inside. You're going to pop on on that, but it's, it's a- because the balloon kept expanding because it was never treated. Before, exactly. Right. So as we, I mean. Literally, we all have we all have a balloon. Totally, and we blow up. We blow it up. Like, okay, here's here's this what I experienced today, and oh my god, here's this what I what just happened. It just and it's bigger and bigger. Yeah, when we don't address it. But then it. at the end of the day, you go, okay, I've dealt with it. It gets smaller, smaller. But if it doesn't, if that balloon, if your emotions and your experiences don't get addressed and lay dormant. Nobody is immune to what I experienced. I mean, I'm, I was born with a happy gene. Like, I may be in gray and black, whatever, but <laughs> but I, I was born with a happy gene. Mm-hmm. So when this happened to me, my friends were like, what happened to you? And I go, I, I don't know, but something happened. And so that night, it was on October 9th. Actually, it was, it was uh, in the afternoon, October 9th. Um, Denise has this New York friend who is like a numerologist for some New York police department, and he's always wrong. And I mean, for 30 years, 30 plus years, the guy has always been wrong, but he was wrong on the right day. This day on October 9th, 2004, he was wrong on the right day. And that's when I went, oh my God, he read my numbers again, wrong I'm 5'11", my dad's 5'8", my mom's 5'5". Again, I don't know where the hell I came from. I stood up. I almost hit my dad. I blamed my mom and my dad for Nicole's murder. I left the room. And as I was leaving, as I was leaving, my sister Denise grabbed me by the shoulders and said, what the hell is wrong with you? And... Denise, again, is kind of like E.F. Hutton, right? It's like she speaks, you listen. She's like, what's wrong? And she's like, you need coping skills. I'm like, what are those? Like, what are coping skills? You know, we don't, the kids today are not taught coping skills. And the lack, she's very worldly. She's she's traveled the world at this time, being, you know, a Ford model. she's, She's had that experience. Me, I'm like... I didn't want to go away for spring break because I thought my mom and my dad right. were going to die when I was in <laughs> high school. So very sheltered and not having those coping skills. And I was like, whatever. And expletives were, were flying. I went to my bedroom and um, I saw the bottle of Klonopin on my left. And uh, in my book, I show a picture of Nicole's Tiffany lamp that I knocked off my my nightstand because I wanted to grab my red bottle of wine obviously I was high mm-hmm. already to begin with and I was like I'm done I'm tapped out I'm done and uh poured the bottle of clonopin 24 pills in my hand 
and uh, and I had the red wine in my right, but as I was doing this, my sister Dominique came in and just went, what the hell are you doing? Wow. And if it wasn't for her coming in, who knows, I probably would have taken that whole bottle, but I took four because obviously I was highly anxious. <laughs> and, and I said, men, her name is Dominique, but mm-hmm. we call her many or men. I said, men, get me the hell out of here before I hurt myself or someone around me. I mean, that's why I know I'm here to share a story and not waste my pain because how many stories, my, I'm not any different than totally. anybody here in this community. I'm no different at all. But not everyone speaks out about it and they right. feel alone in their thoughts. And, and, that, that's yeah. my, and that's why I tell people, share I look your back story. and I'm like, why the hell did I suffer all of that pain mm-hmm. and work through it if that pain... And what I've learned through that pain can't help somebody exactly. through theirs. But not everybody's what a there. Life, but not everyone's there. Right. But those who are there, let's like do us, it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. And let's speak our truth. And exactly. let's speak our truth because that truth can help somebody. And it gives hope. And, and it can give hope. And what I love about this is that this is Tanya's book and it's Finding Peace Amid the Chaos. Yep. And you you want to know how I found that title? Hmm. <laughs> So as we, as we we're going to wrap up. Here uh, soon, okay. Yeah. I know. And there's so much, so maybe Which we can do it too or we're whatever. We're going to do a part two okay. for sure. So I was going through graduate school, caregiving for my dad. I was a primary caregiver for my dad. My mom was going through stage three C breast cancer, had 17 chemo treatments. Uh, no, 37 radiation and seven chemo treatments. Something like that. I mean, it was like wow. insane with my mom at 80. Going through graduate school, then randomly this guy, William Croyle, says, hey, you got to write a book. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? Like, I didn't see my story. So sometimes people on the outside help you see your story because we all have personal experiences. Sorry. We all have our personal experiences, but we don't think that our story can actually really help people. So we're going through this process of writing this book. And, and, and I said, William, what are we going to call this book? And he goes, I don't know. It'll come to you. So one day, Daddy was driving me nuts. God bless him. He died four years ago at 91. He lived a great life. <laughs> I mean, I actually prayed. I'm like, Daddy, you're okay. You yeah. can go. Um, and he asked me, William asked me, he goes, so how's everything at the Brown House? And I go, dude, I'm just trying to find peace amid all this chaos. <laughs> and he goes, that's Boom. the title of your, title title of your, of your book. book. But it, the thing is, is like I didn't want to leave people in a sad story. So we talked about mothers against drug driving. I lost a lot of friends, my uh, you know friends of mine during high school. We mentioned it briefly. Then you had Harissa. We forgot to mention Troy. Troy's in here. Troy is when my spiritual right. um, faith got questioned. I hated God. I abandoned God. Um, I hated him actually. So for anybody who has a higher power. God, Jesus, Buddha, Hindu, whatever it is for you, when you don't have this whole journey of grief and healing and recovery, whether it's behavioral addiction, whatever it is, it's a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. You can't do this stuff on your own. You can't. I mean, we had a shrine on our dining room table, you know, and all of a sudden it's like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, all of us, you know, we would be sitting at this shrine going, oh my God, like... So recovery on any level, whatever that is for you, it's different for everyone. And, you know, it, what is, at the end of the day, it's a spiritual journey. 
because really you can't do this stuff on your own. You can't. Um, and if you can, you're going to be white knuckling it and it's not going to be a peaceful journey. It's not, it's not going to be a hopeful journey and it's, it's, it's going to be hard. So why it's kind of just like one of my tools in the back of the book. It's like, you got to accept and surrender to where you are, right? Accept to your higher power. I'm not in AA, you know, but, but the whole thing is, it's like, you got to accept and surrender to the situation that you're in. So then you can heal and move on until you get to those until you can get to acceptance and surrendering healing can't begin it can't i love that and you know what we're gonna have to do a part two we do we have so we uh, we have so much more to talk about but again like if you want to learn more about some of those traumas that tanya went through go get her book it's finding peace amid the chaos a lot more detail and stuff in there um, they can get it on my website and i'll be more than happy to personally sign it and what's the website tanyabrown.net Easy. TanyaBrown.net. Tanya, hug. I'm all about hugging. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you. um, Thank you at home or if you're in your car ride to work, wherever you're listening to the podcast, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll have much more on my website, www.escapingrockbottom.com. See you guys.